I have discovered 2014's dirty little secret. And don't tell anyone I leaked it. But once we've turned the page on this day and age, we'll see we had no mindset for the concept of having limited time left. Now, you may hear that and doubt it, but take a second. Think about it. We prefer not to refer to those who have died as deceased. So instead, once they're dead, we say resting in peace. And on the off chance we'd wear out that phrase, we coined a collection to last us for days. Bought the farm, gone to their reward, bit the dust, riding the pale horse, taking a dirt nap. She passed her expiration date. They kicked the bucket, went to see Peter at the pearly gates. He moved to Idaho encountered a worst-case scenario, punched their ticket, went to the other side, pushing up daisies, basically anything but having to say they died. You see, you and me, modern-day society, we are petrified of passing on, too busy amassing the house, the pool, the big front lawn, and we'd rather not stop and consider life's last-inning heavy hitter. Because all it takes is one moment and that's it. You cash in your chips, sleeping with the fishes, exit stage right, taking the big sleep, saying your last goodnight. And I will be the first to admit that death gives me the creeps. I'd rather think of it as counting endless sheep than face the fact that someday I'll stack six feet under. I'd rather not wonder what that really means. But whether or not I bother, my heavenly Father beckons a second glance at the scene. So God, teach me to number my days. I don't just want that as my new religious phrase. No, you promise more than mortality mathematics, more than death-driven dramatics. You offer a gift I don't deserve, that even with life's crests and curves, we might gain in the grip of grace a wisdom that overwhelms time or place. For the wisdom God extends transcends this decade. His insights shed light on the modern scholar's charade. For it is wise in God's eyes to treasure each moment, to scrutinize our very lives and how they are spent. And it's wise in God's eyes to crucify our calendars, to invite Christ to shine bright as the divine interrupter. And it's wise in God's eyes to live each day to his glory. We prove prudent students if we proclaim his story to the lost, to the hopeless. We must always persist, for it's wise in God's eyes to see life as a mist. But if that's what it means to be wise in God's eyes to follow the greatest command and the golden rule, then what does it look like in God's eyes to live this life as a fool? And so the paper dispatched the journalists to interview the bride-to-be for a special story. But what's that special about a lady getting married? Well, this story was a little unique. She was 85 years old. This was her fourth marriage, and it was at a funeral parlor. And she explained that these four marriages were all a part of her intentional life plan. To marry first a banker, and then an actor, and then a preacher, and finally a funeral home director. And when asked why, she said, one for the money, 
two for the show, three to get ready, and four to go. Because a person needs to stop and think about the truth that one day they will go. And so the Bible asks, what is your life? And the Bible answers, you are a mist. And every word the Bible uses to describe your lifespan emphasizes briefness, vapor, shadow, dust, breath, grass, mist. And the Bible consistently counsels us to align our priorities in recognition of the brevity of life. Because on your gravestone, there will be three things. A date of the time you were born, and you had no control over that date. And there will be a date of the day you passed, and you'll probably have little to say about that date. But in between, there will be a dash. And you get to say a lot about that dash. It's short, but you get to decide how it's used. And so the Bible says, Lord, teach us to number our days so that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Because to count your days is wise. And to count almost anything else is foolish. And that's why you need to give thought to how you will cash your dash. And by cash, I mean how you will spend it, how you will invest it, how you will use it, because it's short. Now, that makes no sense if you believe you're just a cosmic accident, if you think you're just highly evolved germ, then you do whatever you want with your dash. But if we exist on purpose, then we need to give thought to the purpose for which we exist. And Jesus was constantly trying to change the conversation back to that question. For example, a man comes to him one time in Luke 12 and says, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you. And then it says, he said to them. One guy asked the question, but Jesus knew the whole crowd was wrestling with the tension raised by that question. What is life about? And so he says, now you watch out. You be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of of possessions. You see, Jesus discerned in that guy's question more than just a passion for justice. He discerned a misunderstanding about what life is for. 
about its meaning, about its purpose. And so Jesus is constantly calling us to see life from a different paradigm. To see life through the lens of the unseen and not just the seen world. To see life as a spiritual and not just as a material endeavor. To see life not just as a temporary thing, but as something that has eternal consequences and implications. He's saying that life is a bigger matter than just the accumulation of matter. Or to put it another way, Jesus is saying there's more to your dash than just the acquiring of cash. And by cash, I don't just mean money. I mean anything that is material that we use on this earth. And so, to make the point, he tells a story. It's one of only two stories that Jesus tells where the main character dies. He told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. Now, please notice there is nothing in this story that said the man became rich because he was unethical. It doesn't say that he stole money. That he cheated people, that he mistreated his employees and didn't pay a fair wage? Who doesn't want their son to become a moral, successful businessman? But you see, the things that we count don't always count for much in heaven. On the 100th anniversary of Hamilton College, they invited one of its most famous alumni, Alexander Wolcott, a well-known journalist for the New York Times, to come back and give an address. And he started his speech this way. I send my greetings today to all my fellow alumni of Hamilton College, scattered all over the world. Some of you are successes. Some of you are failures. And only God knows which are which. Because... What we count on earth doesn't always count for much in heaven. Jesus says, look again at verse 15. Life is not measured by how much you own. 
In other words, when you stand before Lord God and your short dash is assessed, He will not say, how big was your barn? Jesus is constantly warning against wasting your dash in the pursuit of cash. In fact, he talks about money more than anything else except the kingdom of God. And the strange thing is, we believe everything Jesus said about heaven and hardly anything he said about money. So I'm here today to say, Be on your guard. Because this warning should not be missed. And he gives several warnings in this story. First, Jesus warns that cash does not add more time to your dash. And you need to hear this. Because a foolish person would think like barn guy. He said... I've got plenty of grain laid up for many years. Now, do you hear the assumption that he's made? That because I have a lot of stuff, that means I have a lot of time. He believed the length of his life corresponded to the amount of his stuff. And so he built a bigger barn because he just assumed he had all the time he needed to use everything in it. And here's the reality for almost everybody listening to me right now. You are going to run out of time before you run out of money. But one of Satan's greatest illusions is that prosperity will bring security. In other words, if I can just amass enough cash, I can control the future. This is why when stock markets crash, we get so anxious. This is why we become workaholics, because we buy this lie that if I can just amass enough, I can control my destiny. And the Bible says that kind of thinking... Is foolish. Do you really think that if you live in a 5,000 square foot house, you have a less likely chance of getting cancer than if you live in a 500 square foot apartment? That if you drive a $70,000 car, you are less likely to get hit by a drunk driver than if you drive a $7,000 One of the things I've noticed traveling around the world is that people that live in cultures that are much less affluent, which is almost anywhere in the world, they understand life is brief more than we do. They're not as shocked when people die young. In our culture, when someone dies young, we're stunned, we're shocked, we get angry even at God because we have this strange idea that if you are affluent, you get more time. And here's the reality. You can buy a lot of things with money. But more time is not one of them. And it's missed. 
We should give heed to this. And so I read last year, for example, about a football player for the Minnesota Vikings named Christian Ballard. And he quit the team. He wasn't cut from the team. He quit the team because he said, I did not like the kind of person I was becoming playing professional football. And of course, people said, but look at this huge salary you're walking away from. And he said, now money's still a material thing. You can always make money. You can't make that time that you lose with your friends and your loved ones. Time is something you can never get back. He said, playing football made me selfish. And I've got to reevaluate what I want to do with my life. And I'm sure many people think walking away from a lucrative career like that is foolish. But Jesus thinks it is foolish to spend almost all of your dash on a barn. Because here's the reality. It is the most inevitable certainty of all. The dash is short. I'm reminded of a story I heard a number of years ago from a preacher friend of mine from the L.A. area. And he knew a man who taught law at the prestigious USC Law School. He was a teacher of first-year law students. And his class was a class all the students had to take, a core requirement. And so on the first day of class, he would start the semester like this. Why are you in my class? And someone would say, because we have to be here. And he would say, then what? Well, then we will take other classes. Then what? Well, then we will decide what kind of law we want to specialize in. Then what? Well, we'll graduate law school, we hope. Then what? Well, we will try to pass the bar exam. Then what? Well, we'll try to get hired by a prestigious law firm. Then what? Well, we'll try to be successful and make a lot of money, maybe make partner. Then what? Well, we'll retire and enjoy the good life. Then what? And some frustrated student would blurt out, well, then we'll die. And this wise teacher would say, then what? You see, cash cannot add days to your dash. What it can add is ways to spend your dash. And so barn guy says, I got a big barn now, full of stuff. So I'm going to take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. That's the second foolish assumption he made. Jesus says, cash will not add more joy to your dash. Barn guy just assumed, like most people, that an abundance of stuff means an abundance of joy. It's one of Satan's most popular delusions in our culture to believe in life and liberty and the purchase of happiness. And few lies are more commonly regarded or more consistently rebuked. I've lived in northeast Tarrant County for 25 years. It's one of the more affluent places in the world. And I can promise you it is filled with heartache. 
I have seen no correlation between an abundance of stuff and an abundance of joy. Do you really think if you can afford to send your child to a really, really expensive, prestigious school and the dean calls and says your child has a serious drug problem, it will bother you less because it costs so much money to go to that school? Or if you're a child at that very expensive school and you get a phone call and your mother and your father are getting a divorce, it will hurt less than if you went to a less expensive college? Foolish. To think stuff equals joy. Look at this picture. You've probably seen this guy on Duck Dynasty. (laughs) Actually, his name is Amu Haji. And the reason I came across his story is his picture was recently in the paper because... He has set the record of apparently being the man on earth who's gone the longest without a bath. He's not had a bath in 60 years. He lives in a hole, eats dead animals, and his highest joy is smoking his pipe full of animal dung. And yet, the villagers say he's the happiest man they know. And when you look back in your own life, you will admit that some of the sweetest and most content people you've ever known had very little I had the privilege some years ago of preaching in one third world country and after I was through I was invited to come home with a young couple and so I accepted the invitation and when I got to their home I walked inside a cardboard box their home was smaller than this part of the stage I stand on it had two rooms A big cardboard box with a curtain in the middle to make two rooms. And the only thing they owned of any worth was a bag of coffee. And they insisted on making me a cup of coffee to show me honor. I don't like coffee. And let me tell you, the coffee they drink there is so thick, you can't stick a spoon in it. But they brought me that cup of coffee. And I know you can't go to heaven by what you do, but if you can ever earn heaven, I did that day. Because I chewed that whole cup of coffee. And what I remember about those two hours with that couple was how happy they were to know Jesus. How in love they were. And how little they seemed to tie their sense of worth with what they had. It's just foolish to try to find joy in what can only depreciate and deteriorate. When I am in my car and I drive past a junkyard or a landfill, I I try to say a little prayer to myself. Lord, don't let me ever tie my identity or my joy to anything that's going to wind up there someday. Because abundant living is not the consequence of an abundance of stuff. It's, It's the result of having the abundance of God. You get joy by being filled with the Holy Spirit. Not by filling a barn. 
A fool can't see that. Because he's too full of something else. And Jesus warns, cash must not add more me to your dash. Because I tell you who tends to ignore the warning about the brevity of life. It's ignored by the self-absorbed. Did you notice that barn guy lives completely for himself? He doesn't mention anybody else when he reflects on his life. He speaks to himself. He plans for himself. He parties with himself. He congratulates himself. Now again, if you believe that you're nothing but a few billion years of evolved pond scum, that makes total sense. But if we exist on purpose then surely it is for a bigger purpose than to see how much of our dash we can focus on ourselves. Where are the other people in this guy's dash? He had a great year in business. Praise God. Well, then why didn't he go down to synagogue? Why didn't he get together with his prayer team and his prayer friends? Why didn't he get out together with the rabbi and pull out Torah and read the word of God and say, guys, I've had a really big year and I've gotten more than I can spend in my life and in my kid's life. What does God want me to do? Maybe they could have given him some ideas of where to store all that surplus grain. Like maybe in the stomachs of hungry people. See, he lived the good life. And here's the question. Did he live a good life? All lives are missed. But Jesus said his life was missed. And Jesus warns, verse 21, this is what happens. When you fill your barn with self and not with God. So, what are you giving your dash to? And you're a fool if you don't think about this. Because your dash is short. And can we admit that we live with a tension? Between wanting the good life and wanting to live good lives. And we open up the newspaper and there are the ads and the obituaries. And the ads tell us how to have great hair and great health and great sex and great cars and great houses. And the obituaries... Never mention who had good hair. And what we want is everything offered by the ads. But then we want the obituary to say that we lived well. Alfred Nobel became exceedingly rich 
selling explosives. He changed the way the Western world did war. And one day he opens the paper and read his obituary. The paper made a mistake. It was actually his brother that had died. But what convicted him was the headline, Dynamite King Dies. And the story went on to recall the exploits of the man nicknamed Merchant of Death. And he decided that he wanted to be remembered for something else. So he took a large part of his fortune and set it aside to create something called the Nobel Peace Prize. And late in his life, he said, I would wish that every person could read their obituary in time to rewrite it. The world says, who can argue with success? And Jesus says, God can. Because it is God who will do the final dash assessment. And so Jesus says, be rich toward God. In other words, give up if you don't want your dash to crash. Because we use up so much of our dash building things that are only going to come down. They're not going to last. So Jesus is warning against wasting our lives on trivial pursuits because when we stand before God the things that are going to really matter won't be things and so invest in the kingdom of God because it will last when barns are gone do what I would call mist giving Because every time you offer sincere worship to God, you are giving something that will last. Every time you try to strengthen your character to be more like Jesus, you're being rich to God. Every time you speak the name of Jesus to someone that needs his salvation, you've made an offering that will last. Every time you act with compassion and you do something to help someone in need, every time you sacrifice and give to your church to advance the kingdom of God, You have done wise mist giving. Because you were born for a bigger purpose than a barn. 
My son in college called me this past week. The college tuition that I am paying for to inform me that he and his friend Colby Hatchett were skipping their classes to drive to San Antonio to score some tickets to watch two days of NCAA basketball. I've never been more proud of my boy in my life. (laughs) And what is particularly special for Matthew is he's watching those games in the Alamo Dome that his grandfather built. My father-in-law, James Lida, spent the last part of his professional career as a supervisor for major construction jobs. And some of the great landmarks in San Antonio were his jobs, including the Alamo Dome. And it's an impressive structure. It's a great barn. And someday it'll be gone. But when we preached his funeral four years ago, Nobody talked about the things he built. None of the architects and businessmen that financed those buildings came to the funeral. You know who came? Men that he had coached as teenagers and college students 50 years earlier. Who learned how to become fathers and husbands. Who learned about Jesus who got to go to college because of my father-in-law. They came. Oh, we talked about what he built. But we didn't talk about barns. We talked about the wake of a life that is going to continue long after all the buildings are gone. And so, use your Dash, so that when the great fire comes, what you built will not be missed. And so, Father, give us ears to hear this message. It's a hard message to hear because we are bombarded by propaganda that counts what heaven does not count. We are overwhelmed with delusions that measure life foolishly. And so today, give us the courage to re-examine what makes a good life. And give us the insight we need to be wise. In a world of fools. I'm praying today that there will be hearts that hear this message that will decide to stop building on sand. And build on the only foundation that truly lasts. Bring people to Jesus, we pray, for His sake and name. Amen. Let's all stand. And down front, people are going to be here to receive you, to pray, to counsel, to teach you 
to tell you how to become a Christian, to talk to you about being baptized, to make Jesus your rock and your foundation so that your dash will last.